Hi, I'm Amanda. And I'm Rebecca. And this is Full Plate, Full Cup. We're startup leaders turned executive coaches who believe that you deserve to be wildly successful and wildly happy. We interview trailblazing entrepreneurs, business leaders, and creatives so you can peek behind the curtain of how they got where they are today and start carving your own path towards success. Each episode shares personal stories as well as actionable takeaways that you can apply to begin living a more joyful and fulfilling life. Join us to learn how to scale your business, harness your power, and fill your cup. If you like what you hear, subscribe, leave a review, and share with a friend. Thanks for listening. Well, we are so excited today to have our dear friend, Vanessa Cornell, on the Full Plate, Full Cup podcast. Vanessa, welcome. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. It just gives me joy to be on the screen with both of you. Um, So thank you. I'm really honored to be here. Yes. So I know we're going to have a juicy conversation today. We're, We're really excited to have you because your area of focus is different than any of our other guests. You've had such a unique journey, and we know that you are working on some very exciting things and thinking about them in such a unique way. So let's read your intro and then we will dive in. Vanessa Cornell is the founder of Nushu. Through the power of true community, Nushu holds space for curiosity and evolution for those experiencing profound personal awakening and transformation. Nushu Group is a radically different modality where you can show up exactly as you are, where you will be welcomed and accepted, where no one will try to fix you, And you can feel safe to share and be seen fully in your truth. And Amanda and I have both experienced this and can attest that it is absolutely true. So we're so excited to hear more about your story today and and how this and everything else that you've created came to be. So Vanessa, today we know you as this human who effortlessly connects people to themselves and to greater communities and to people that you just think they should know. I think it's kind of your superpower. It's this gift that you have. I've never seen anyone do it like you do before. But this path of connection and group and community was not always your lived experience. So I'd love if you could take us back to the days before you became an entrepreneur and founded Nushu. What did your life look like? And what was your sense of self in that life? Yeah, Um, thank you. Yeah, I mean, you know, in a word, my life was perfect, right? I mean, I was that kid who was smart and I did well in school and I had lots of friends and I was an athlete. I like checked all of those boxes. It was like the dream child. Like my mother still to this day will say like you were perfect. And what that meant actually was that I had figured out exactly what other people would value, exactly what other people thought a girl should be. And I was really, really good at being that. And so that took me through high school and took me to Harvard. It took me to Goldman. I, you know, straight A's, national championship squash team, national merit scholar, checking all those boxes of that perfect life, climbing the ladder, the rungs, all the way to where one would think one would want to be. And finally, when one gets there, you've done it. And that's where happiness resides. And so I did that. I overachieved I started a family. I overachieved at that too. I had five children in six years. People say, why did you have so many children so quickly? And I think there's a little part of me that was like overachieving in that too, because I liked the idea of people being like, wow, 
that's amazing. How do you do it? That admiration and that feedback that I got. But the truth was that after eight years of being pregnant, breastfeeding, or both, I was not at the top of that ladder looking out at my happiness and my perfect life. I was so miserable. I was so disconnected from myself. I was so lonely that I was on the brink of throwing that whole life away. I was like, this is nothing of what I want because it can't be if this is how I feel inside. So there wasn't a lot of sort of logic and clarity in that moment. It was just nasty and gnarly and messy and horrible. But now looking back years later, I can kind of like understand what was happening. And what had happened is my entire life, I had been living for other people's expectations. And what happens when you do that is you have to quiet the inner voice. You have to become really, really skilled at understanding what other people want and denying what you want. And so I had been doing that so successfully for so long. But at one point, something inside me started to scream. Mm -hmm. And I didn't know what it was and I didn't understand it at the time. But what it came out as was like, am I allowed to swear? What it came yeah. out was like, fuck this life. I don't fucking want it anymore. I don't know why, but I am so angry and infuriated at this life that I just hate it. Get me the fuck out. I'm done. I'm done. And so in picking up the pieces after that, what I realized was I had been taught my entire life, like, don't share anything out of the family, mm. you know, sugarcoat it, white lie it. And so I had no friends. I mean, I had friends who are still friends, people who cared about me, but I had no one with whom I felt safe to actually share who I was and what my truth was. And it wasn't their fault. You know, they're wonderful people. It was me. It was me who was unwilling to share. And so what this did is it broke me wide open. And the person you know now who is in such loving and intimate exchange with people, that is not who I was for the first 35 years of my life. But now that I've found it, I'm like, this is the best thing I've ever experienced in my life. All, all I want is more of it. All I want is to know people in a deep and intimate way. I'm selective about the people, right? Like, I want people who want the same and approach it with the same level of love. But there are lots of those out there. And then when I find them, all I want to do is introduce them to each other, you know, because it just gives it just it just gives me so much joy. And so when you say effortless, um, it's not even effortless. It's like it it, in, it invigorates me. It enlivens me to know these people, have them know each other and then be in this exchange with them. Yeah. So I, I love that you said that you were 35 when you said to quote, fuck this life, I'm done with it. A lot of people out there who are in their mid thirties, even their you know late twenties, young thirties are like, I'm too deep into this life. I've worked too hard to get where I am. I can't give up now. I don't want to throw it all away. How did you personally wrestle with that feeling, assuming that you had it? Yeah, I definitely did. I did. Um, and 
I kind of at that point wanted to blow up my life because I knew something had to change. Um, and I really struggled with it, right? Because I have an amazing, loving, wonderful husband and I had five children, right? Like you don't just walk away from the people that you love. Um, and I kind of wanted to walk away from other things too. I was like, I don't want this New York life. I don't want this, you know, I, there's so many things I wanted to walk away from that I was ready to walk away from. And then I was walking in the park one day and I had this epiphany. I realized I'm not leaving my family. It's not who I am. And that was the one truth that I knew so deeply to be true. And so when something is so true that it goes to who you are, that was my anchor. And so I dropped that anchor. I was like, I know, I don't know anything about anything. My mind is on fire, but I know one thing to be true. I know it to be true. That is not who I am to leave my family. I love my children. I love my husband. I'm going to stay. And so what I realized was what we think sometimes when we've been so disconnected from who we are is that we have to change our surroundings. We have to change our environment, our job, our family, where we live. And we make these radical decisions from a place of lack of clarity. Because when your mind is on fire like that, you don't have clarity. And what actually had to change was me. I had to look inside and change my internal relationship to myself, my wants, my needs. I had to start to reacquaint myself with myself so that I could really understand and decide what the life was that I wanted. And what I realized was pulling out and just being like, I'm going to go sit in a cave in India. That was the coward's way out. That was the easy way out. The difficult thing is finding your life inside your life. And what sometimes happens when you start to really focus on you is that you realize, oh, this job isn't right for me. Or you realize, oh, this marriage isn't right for me. Or this place I live isn't right for me. But that's a different decision because that's a decision that comes from a real connection with self, a real connection with what you need. And then that decision is almost inevitable. It's not a struggle. It's not a like, you know, it's not something that you have to force yourself to do. It becomes just so clear and obvious. And so what I say to people who are in this transitional phase is don't worry about anybody else. Don't worry about your husband. If you have a husband, if you're married, don't worry about your spouse. Don't worry about your children. Don't worry about your environment. Don't worry yet about your job. Just think about you. Just develop a practice of becoming acquainted with who you are, what you want, what you need. And the rest will become really, really clear. And that decision will become almost calm and inevitable rather than fiery and like, I've got to blow shit up, you know? And so I think what, what happens is people think, Oh, if I start listening to this voice inside me that tells me that something's wrong, my life is going to fall apart. That's what makes people afraid. I get it, obviously, right? I'm in so deep. I've built this life. And not so much like I've built this life in terms of achievement or accomplishment. I've built this life in terms of relationships, people I genuinely care about, people I genuinely don't want to hurt. And if I start to listen to this voice inside, I'm going to hurt everyone around me. My life is going to go up in flames and I'm going to burn everyone else. And it's not necessarily true, you know? And so this practice of starting to say, I'm not going to burn my life down. I'm just going to get really, really, really clear about who I am and what I want. And what actually ends up happening, what happened to me is my relationships deepened. 
my capacity to show up for my children expanded. And side benefit, I got to show up every morning in this life that is mine, that I choose, that I feel fully alive and awake and purposeful and curious. And there is an energetic flow that comes when you're in that place that kind of feels like you can do anything. Um, but it's a process and it takes courage to start to really tap into, you know, just a couple of fundamental questions. Who am I? What do I need? And what do I want? That's what it comes down to. Wow. I um, <clears throat> in listening to you speak. I'm thinking of Byron Katie, who some people listening yeah. might know who Byron Katie is if you don't look her up because she's phenomenal. But she is the woman who created the work. It's literally called the work. But she talks about her sort of rock bottom moment where she's laying on the ground in her bathroom, just like sobbing and a is it a cockroach or a spider? I think it's a cockroach. <laughs> Literally walks across her face. And in that moment, she realizes that everything's going to be okay. Like the absurdity of it kind of snaps her out of whatever she was in. And she just, you know, and anyway, so, but, um, you know, I want to go back to, you are, you know, living this life. You have five little kids, which I'm sure people say this all the time, but God bless. <laughs> and you've had this realization that is obviously hard to swallow, right? I want to blow shit up. You mentioned that at the time you didn't necessarily have people that you felt you could go to, that you could share openly with. I, I would love to hear what were the first couple of baby steps that you took? Like, who did you tell first? Was it your husband? Was it a sister? Like, because I think we can see who you are today and sort of the way that you live and the way that you you maintain and flourish and all of that. But I think a lot of people listening, they're more familiar with the state of like, oh shit, something's wrong. I have no one to tell. I have no idea what to do. Give me the first couple of baby steps yeah. to, to, you know, start the process. Yeah. I mean, the first thing I'll say is people will be like, was your husband the first person you to told? And I'll be like, no, I wanted to write a book. I wanted to write a book to explain who I was and who I had become so I could drop it in my husband's lap so he would know without me having to confront over and over and over again and tell him who I was. Because it was like that was the scariest thing of all to show the people closest to you. Sometimes it feels like it's easier to show the people closest to you, but it's the hardest to show. And so I would say it's really, really important to think of this as a practice. It's like if you're in a tight spot and you want to be expansive, you're not doing this all at once. It's just not going to happen, if, particularly if you've been here for decades, right? Learning new things is so much easier than unlearning old things. And what you have to do when you're in that spot is unlearn decades of conditioning. And so it's like little incremental step of discomfort pushing yourself out of your comfort zone after another. And so that's been my practice. It's like, just push a little, just push a little, just push a little. Um, and the other aspect of it, which kind of hit me all at once, was once you see something, you can't unsee it. I have to move forward and the pace is up to me, but there's no going back. There's no putting that genie back in the bottle. Once you start to realize like, I've been living a lie. I can't ever go back to that. And so my work is just to be in my truth as honestly as possible and to share it incrementally 
and to manage what comes up inevitably when you realize that people are going to say, that is not who I thought you were. This is a new you. And to sort of manage what comes up inside when you envision the eye rollers, right? The people who are going to see what you're doing and be like, oh God, Vanessa's going to woo on us or whatever they decide to say, right? And so I'm not saying I didn't have that. I'm not saying I don't still have that, but it's about saying like, I hear you voice. I hear you little inner critic. I hear you person who's afraid of what other people will think because I would love to tell you I'm beyond that. I would love to say, I don't care what other people think, but it's not true. It's That would be totally false advertising. But it's about listening to that voice and being like, I hear you. I understand. I know this is hard, but you're going to be brave and do it anyway. And so it's little, it's a practice. It's not an all at once. I would also say that I've spoken to a lot of people who are in this in-between place where they feel like that the world and the life that they've created has disappeared because that life belonged to a person they no longer are. And that is a terrifying place and it can feel like a very lonely place. But what I'll say is that contraction is inevitably followed by an expansion where you start to be attracted to and attract people who are attracted to who you actually are. And that those relationships, this is, this is what I've experienced. Those are the relationships that can become really deep and powerful and meaningful, even in a really short amount of time. And so I muddled through for a long time, you know, like I would love to say, like in that moment, I had this epiphany of clarity and then I became who I am, but I'm still muddling through. I'm still <laughs> saying, is this who I am? Is this what I want? And I will muddle through forever, but I have this North star of truth where I always ask myself, is this true for me? Is this who I am? Is this who I want to be in the world? And every little incremental decision is based on that. It's not always right and it's not always perfect, but it's kind of a guiding light. And the rewards that come from doing that, I cannot overstate. The depth of the relationships I have, the excitement I have about my work, um, the way I'm able to handle difficult emotions. It's just expanded my world completely. But like, is it easy? No. Does it take courage? Of course. Tremendous courage. I was talking to Rebecca about this earlier before we started. Having a group of people around you is really important. Knowing that you have a group of people who care about you, who you can count on. Wow, does that make a difference? But that relationship has to be cultivated by sharing yourself with those people. You cannot have an intimate relationship unless you show yourself to someone. That's really, really scary. And it takes discernment. But to me, that has been the key to my strength is having those deep relationships. Yeah. What would you say to the person listening who is thinking, like, I have it all. Like, I have a husband and he's, you know, he's a good guy and we've got a nice house and my kids are like, you know, I have one boy and one girl, right? Like the person listening who has has the quote unquote perfect life, has it all. How dare I ask for more? How dare I not be satisfied with this quote unquote perfect life that everyone would be happy to have? What would you say to that person who's in that mindset? Yeah, so that's what I call the gratitude trap. I know inside that there's something off about my life, but I am going to ignore that because I do not deserve to have more because I already have so much. I can't possibly ask for more. That's incredibly self-indulgent and selfish. 
And it denies my privilege by asking for more. And so what I would say is those two things can coexist. You can have deep gratitude for your life and also know that there's something wrong with it, that there's more that you want. And they don't, it's not a zero sum game. It's not an either or. Both of those things can be true at the same time. And the other thing that I would say is if you have education and resources and emotional stability and a family, it's your responsibility to go unleash yourself on the world. Because not everyone has that choice. Not everyone has that privilege. And so rather than saying, I am so privileged to have these wonderful things in my life, therefore, I should just be paralyzed and sit and do nothing because that's got to be enough. It is, in fact, your responsibility to go do what it is you need to do in the world. And nobody can tell you what that is. Maybe it's to start a business. Maybe it's to volunteer. Maybe it's to go back to school. Maybe whatever it is, if you're coming from a place of deep gratitude for what you have and love and passion for who you are, you will be a force for good in the world. And it's in fact your responsibility because there are so many people who aren't in that privileged position. So it's this interesting thing where what seems to be the counterintuitive thing is actually the thing that is going to create positive change in the world based on the position of privilege that you sit in. It's so liberating when you come to understand and even accept that opposite things can be true for you and true in your life. And you can actually lean into both of those things at once, right? That you can feel like you have it all and you can want something different for yourself at the same time. It gives us such permission to explore who we really are, who we want to be and to evolve. So out of your personal moment of transition and evolution, you eventually decided to start a business, Nushu. So a lot of people notice things in the world and think, oh my God, this needs to be a business. And there are so many ideas like that, some of them wonderful, some of them not so wonderful, that never see the light of day. So how did you know that the idea of Nushu was worthwhile to bring into the world? So I didn't. Um, I just had all this energy and it had to go somewhere. The way I think about it isn't so much that, you know, I see something wrong in the world and I need to fix it or create a business or the business belongs in the world. What belongs in the world is your passion and creativity and aliveness. And if you're starting a business or you're writing a blog or you're going back to school, that is just the vehicle for your passion and curiosity and aliveness. And so what I knew that I needed was a vehicle. I needed a way to have all of this energy channeled into something. And I didn't know what the vehicle would be or what it would become or what it would mean. I just knew I had to do something. And so when I talk to people who are starting, what people will often think is, I have this idea or I have this excitement or I have this passion and here's where I am and here's that idea fully realized. And I need to determine what that idea is fully realized and then draw a straight line from where I am to where that idea sits. But until I have that idea fully realized, I cannot start because I don't know where that straight line starts. And what I tell people is, if you have passion and excitement about something, just start. Just do one thing. Because the path, as every entrepreneur knows, does not look like that. 
and not even entrepreneur, right? Like your life path does not look like that. You don't think to yourself, here's exactly where I want to be at 80 years old. And here's where I am now. And let me draw a path from here to there. So it's like, don't worry about where you're going. Don't worry about where you're going to end up. But just follow the next best choice for you that feels the most true to you and is exciting. And this is, I think, where people get tripped up. I think people think it's got to be a slog if it's worthwhile, right? Like, what are the things that I should do? Here are the four options for what I should do. This one seems really, really fun, but this one's probably more going to get me where I want to go. And what I would say is people think of joy as like the reward after they have the hard work. They're like, if I do all this hard work, then at the end, I'm going to get to have my joy. And I would say joy is a guidepost along the way to figuring out who you are and what you want. Joy is this thing that helps you understand what lights you up. And that thing that lights you up is in your path of flow, is in your path of purpose, is in your path of realizing who you are and what your particular gifts are to the world. And so what I did is I just did what seemed fun. I was like, I know, I think I'm going to get a meditation teacher in and invite a bunch of my friends and do that. And then I was like, oh, that seemed cool and fun. Um, I'm really, really interested in this speaker. Why don't I reach out to the speaker and see if she'll come and talk to me and a group of people and I'll invite them. And that was Dr. Shafali. She was my first speaker I ever had. She sat in my living room and we talked about conscious parenting and she like blew people's minds. And then people in the living room felt really comfortable. And she actually said to me afterwards, you know, I came to the Upper East Side and I expected one thing. And what I saw was totally different. These women are so open. These women are so willing to share and they seem really desperate to share the stuff that's going on. And so I'm skipping a couple of steps, but then I realized, oh, I think I'm creating something in this environment where people feel safe. Oh, I think it would be really fun to just get a group of people together and say, here's what we're going to do in this space. We're just going to not judge each other. We're not going to fix each other. We're just going to agree with each other that this is a place of permission and trust for people to be able to share whatever is going on with them. And I included prompts in that. And that was the first Nushu group. And so everything that I've done has been along the lines of what seems fun. What seems like the next best thing to do? What seems like the thing that is exciting and sparks my curiosity? And so my wonderful team indulges me because <laughs> I always have 75 different ideas and I'm incredibly curious about things. And the business is a vehicle for the expression of that curiosity. Um, and I have no idea where it will go, but that's the way I do it. People are like, do you have a five-year business plan? And I'm like, five years. I don't even know who I'm going to be in five years, <laughs> but it's not going to be who I am today because I know how this works. You know, we continue to grow and evolve and learn so much more about ourselves and become curious about so many things that I have no idea. Talk to me in five years. <laughs> <laughs> we'll circle back. Yeah. Yeah. I love that so much. And I'm I'm sure you guys and and people listening have read uh, Joseph Campbell, but in my work with founders, because I primarily coach founders, I always talk about the hero's journey mm -hmm. and following your bliss because, you know, the the founders that I'm working with, maybe they're not in quite the place of joy 
<laughs> and, and, you know, um, um, where everything is fun where you are. So the way I talk about it is almost like going on a, a treasure hunt, right. Or a hero's quest, because during that time, there's going to be a dragon breathing fire, right. And there's going to be, you know, a, a night spent in a frozen cave and right. It's not, it's not like every day you are rescuing the maiden or yeah. conquering the, right. There's, the ups and the downs, but it's all part of this hero's journey. And so if you can think about it as a treasure hunt or something that has just an uplifting kind of current to it, right? Versus it's a slog, it's a grind, right? Like how you frame it can allow you to sort of see, right? The fire breathing dragon as like an adventure and not like certain death. <laughs> yeah, and, and listen, not every moment of everything that I do in work is fun, right? Like I'm not trying <laughs> right. to pretend that that's yeah. true, but there's a difference in, I'm willing to do this in service of something that, that feels so true and right to me. And so there's a difference between like not super fun and annoying and soul sucking. There is a difference, right? Like this isn't super fun. It's pretty annoying, but I'm willing to do it in service of something that feels so good and true. And this feeling of like, why am I doing this? This is just sucking my soul out of me. And so I think, yeah, like if to be a founder and an entrepreneur, it's no joke. Like the highs are high, but the lows are low. But if it's, if it's really in you, if it's really in you, the lows are low, but they don't take you away from yourself. And that's the difference. It's like, is this work taking you away from yourself or towards yourself? Unpleasant or not, you know, unpleasant, like denying myself, abandoning myself or unpleasant, realizing myself, moving towards myself. And so yeah, it's not super fun every moment, you know, it's like nobody likes accounting, like nobody, you know, there's, there's plenty of stuff that we have to do that's not that fun. But there's a difference between those two sort of energies of, I hate this, because I don't really like to do it, or I hate this because it's not who I am. Yeah. So Vanessa, I know that the new shoe that exists today looks quite different from the early days of new shoe. We did some work together on new shoe. It was funny. You were actually one of the first people who brought me in when I went out on my own after leaving Mind Body Green. And it's just been such a joy to watch you and new shoe evolve over the past few years. So I would love to know what is your biggest lesson from the early days of new shoe and how did that lesson help evolve Nushu to what we know and love it as today? I don't even know if it's a lesson, but it's a realization that I had. Um, looking back, I'm like, why was this so surprising to me? This was probably the biggest surprise that when you're an entrepreneur and you're doing something out in the world, the roller coaster or the ping pong of total clarity and deep doubt is constant and rapid. So, you know, it's like when you're charting a new path, doing something that no one has done before exactly the way you've done it, which is every entrepreneurial business, even though you've got lots of competitors, no one's doing it the way you are. You're basically standing at the edge of a desert that has no road signs, that has no road, that has no indication of where to go. And it's like, where is the next step? And you stand in that spot and you're like, um, here, I think. And you step there. 
And then you're standing in that spot and then it's still a desert with no road signs and no road map. And you're like, what's the next step? And you soul search and you're like, um, maybe here. Right. And so, so much sort of soul searching. And then this, this, this like amazing feeling of like, I got it. I've got it. I know I have clarity and it lasts like a day, literally a day. And you're like, really? Couldn't I have gotten like a week out of it? We have no idea what you're talking about, by the way. <laughs> I've never been insecure. Not once. You know, and it's like, it's like, really? And then you're again plunged into this doubt. And so um, it was really shocking to me in the beginning. And I'm sure all the entrepreneurs out there would be like, yeah, I already knew that. But it's like, you know, when it's like you've, it's like when you have children and you realize you're like, this is the most mind rocking thing I've ever done. And then you look around and you're like, oh, so many other people have done this, but I just had no idea. Or when you lose your parents, your parents get ill. You're like, this is the most mind blowing, like paradigm shifting thing that I've ever experienced. And you look around and you're like, oh, everyone else has done this. So the entrepreneurs out there who came before me are probably like, duh, Vanessa. But like when you get into that club and you hadn't been there before, it really like rocks your world. Yeah, that was definitely the most surprising thing. But now, actually, what I see is this interplay between the sort of soul searching and doubt being literally a vehicle and a door through which I get to know more deeply who I am. So it's this relationship with my business where I can say, yeah, like this question or this question of what I want to do goes directly to who I am. And I set my business up that way intentionally. And I set my business up intentionally to be able to be flexible, to be able to move and groove with me where I wasn't making commitments to people that then I would have to undo later. And so I really kind of from the very beginning looked at my business and said, how can I achieve creative freedom for myself so that I can allow myself to evolve? I named the business Nushu, not my name for a reason. Because brands need to be, and you guys know this so well, consistent, you know, consistent, reliable, the same all the time. Human beings are ever changing and evolving. And so I was really conscious about not creating a personal brand because I didn't want to be trapped in that because I'd seen people who were trapped in that. And I was like, I am a human who gets to change, change her mind, evolve, grow and be curious and go in lots of different directions. And I need to retain that. So I was really, really conscious in the beginning of setting myself up for that so that I would have the flexibility to do it. I love that. We had that same exact conversation when we were starting full plate, full cup, because, you know, I mean, we're all weirdos on this call. Uh, you know, I was going to say I'm a weirdo, but, but, um, but I think it's important for people who are either thinking about starting a business or who have a business to have that identity distance of here's me, here's who I am. Here's my values. Here's what I stand for. Here's my business. Here's what I what your, my business stands for, right? Even if you have done the thing and like named your business after yeah. you, right? You are still not your business. If your business has a bad quarter, you didn't have a bad quarter. You're you're you. Your business is your business. This is something that I get into with clients all the time, but I think it bears repeating because we live in this world of the personal brand, of the influencer, of the guru. And this brings us to something else we love about you, which is like you are connected to some of the best, brightest, most well-known sort of luminaries in the field of spirituality, wellness, what have you across the board. 
but you are such a big proponent of the fact that we are our own best teacher, right? So I'd love to hear kind of your thoughts on why you feel so strongly about that particular message. Yeah. I mean, this is another category of like, once you see it, you can't unsee it. You know, I'm kind of obsessed with cults and gurus because I can just, you know, I don't know why I can just see it so clearly. It's just so obvious to me. And I see in this wellness world, an incredible amount of disempowerment in the guise of empowerment. It's normal, right? It feels really good for people to say like, you changed my life. Or, wow, you're so wise. Tell me the answer. You know, it feels really good. It really feeds the ego, but it doesn't actually help people. Uh, and it's become so clear to me that it doesn't help people. And what was interesting was when I started Nusha Group and I saw the dynamic of what was happening when I was simply holding space for people to hear themselves think for a minute without immediately having to go to action or fixing, that people kind of already know the answer. People really, really do. Like, think about a job that you've left or a relationship that you've left. And when you finally leave, if you think about, like, how long did some part of you inside already know before you took that action? And so what I'm really, really fascinated by and curious about is unlocking that wisdom that we all have that we've been trained out of listening to. We've been trained to do pros and cons and use the logical mind, but that sort of connection to how does this feel? Does this feel right? Is this good and true is something that we really don't practice very often and we don't have spaces to practice. And so the point of group is to create that space where I have no answers. I only have questions. But in asking the questions, you get enough breathing room, enough space to be able to sort of dip down under the level of the conscious mind. I'll have people in group all the time say, oh, yeah, now that I think about it, I think I, I feel this or I think I, I realize this or, yeah, I see clearly that this relationship is like this or this is where someone was coming from. Or, this is where I was coming from. And to me, all of the gold, all of the information is to be mined inside. And it's all already there. And teachers are mirrors and doors. They can hold a mirror up to you. They can open a door. I think there's great value to teachers who help to create frameworks or methods or insight or wisdom to open doors of clarity and understanding for people. But at the end of the day, you are the only one who can walk through that door. You're the only one who can look in that mirror. And only in doing it in that way can you actually affect real change. I can't tell you how many people have come to me and said, my therapist tells me I should. The surefire way to never doing something is having somebody tell you you should and then you repeating that like I should because deep down inside you don't want to and you haven't decided and you haven't come to the conclusion that you want to. And so it's like people don't change because other people tell them what to do. People change because they come to a realization themselves where they're like, oh, yeah, this is what's true for me. And then you don't even have to kind of remember to do that. It's almost like I love the type of teaching where you don't have to take any notes because your mindset has shifted fundamentally. It's like a lens has been taken off or you've shifted your perspective where everything is different now. 
everything feels different and you see things differently and you make a choice from that point of view. And so it's comforting to have somebody tell you the answer and tell you what to do. It's terrifying to realize that no one has any answers for you. And so I kind of understand why there's this dynamic of like, just tell me what to do and I'll do it and that'll make me feel good. But I really think that for people in the spiritual, personal growth, self-help world, it's actually the onus is on the teacher to push that power back down when someone wants to give you their power and say, just tell me what to do. I'll just follow you blindly and I know it'll be okay. It's the onus is on the teacher to be like, actually, no. I can't tell you what to do. Only you can know what to do. I can give you really good questions. I can give you support. I can hold space for you. I can reframe things. I can help you think through it. I could put up a mirror to you. But at the end of the day, I have no answers for you. It's a scary place, but a really empowering and powerful place to be. Yeah, absolutely. So you've talked a little bit about what um, what a good teacher, maybe like some green flags of a teacher, because we all need teachers sometimes, right? Um, particularly, I think, you know, in my own journey, learning things like meditation, learning things that are more theoretical, kind of absorbing that wisdom. But, but there's also a lot of uh, kind of things to be wary of out there. So I'd love to hear what are your like red flags for people who are looking for someone to help them, whether it's on a spiritual journey, right? A journey of discovering self, or if they're like launching a business, right? Needing something like writing a book. Can we talk about that yet? Right? Like looking for someone to be a teacher, a guide, a support. What are some of the red flags that are like, eek, stay away from this person? Yeah. So I kind of have like a green flag, red flag pair, right? So the green flag is somebody that you look at and you're like, this is a human being. This is a human being who has worries and fears and doubts and challenges, just like me. They may be farther along. They may know more. They may have a lot to offer me, but there is a fundamental humanness about who this person is. And then the red flag associated with that is somebody who just seems ideal, larger than life, perfect on a pedestal. If I could just be like that person, everything will be okay. And this holding out of this impossible ideal, we all know it's not true. It does not exist. The perfect human has never been. And it is definitely not that teacher that you look up to. And if that teacher seems that way, they're lying and they're hiding something. And how is it possibly of service to you to idealize and be aspiring to be someone who has basically disowned their humanity with respect to you. Because all that's going to do is when your inevitable humanity bubbles up, as it does in all of us, I'm afraid, I have these thoughts that I don't like, I have doubt, you're going to think there's something wrong with you. And there isn't because it's all of us, but it doesn't serve anybody for people to project an image that doesn't incorporate those things. Because when it happens to us, inevitably, we're going to think I'm not doing it right. I'm not trying hard enough. I'm not working hard enough. I need to, you know, be better, do better. And that is all counteractive. I need a bigger wide brimmed hat. (laughs) 
I mean, I could I could go there with right. you. Rebecca and I always joke we when we think about the the sort of like typical online guru culture, right. we call them wide brim hat people. Well, but there's but there's something to that, right? I mean, mm-hmm. there is a costume that people put on, and the costume comes in the form of the way you dress, and the costume can also come in the form of the way you speak. Mm-hmm and words that you use. So I find it really, really important for me to use plain language because there are those gurus out there that will use these words and you don't really know what they mean. And you think, wow, they must know more than me. They must have a secret that I don't have. And if I follow them and pay them money and, you know, then maybe they'll let me in on the secret. But like, no, they don't. They don't have a secret that you don't have. They're trying to make you believe they have a secret that you don't have. And so the teachers I respect the most, they talk to people like people. They don't try to sort of put themselves on a different plane. They don't try to distance themselves from you. And this is what I teach when I teach Nusha Group Facilitator Training also. And a lot of people do this not from a malicious place, by the way. Like, I I really believe that people do this partly because it's a scary thing to go out into the world and say, I have something to teach. I have something to offer because there's so much possibility for rejection. There's so much possibility for your own self-doubt. I've experienced this, too. And so people think I must be polished. I have to sort of set myself apart, deserve to be in this place, to have something to say to people. And I have to create this image of myself as worthy of sitting in the seat of the teacher. And so people don't do it from a malicious place. People do it from a place of like, are they going to take me seriously if I, and do I deserve to be in the seat? And so I have to sort of put on this costume of the person who deserves to be in the seat. Like I can't show my humanity and my weakness because then people will doubt what I have to offer, will doubt that what I have to say or teach or give is valuable and worthwhile. And so people will take a course with all the words. And then they'll be like, in order to teach it, I'll like use all the words so that I'll feel legitimate. But my personal practice is a practice of like deep rigor with words. That if a word is overused, I try to stay away from it. Not because it's fundamentally bad, but because it's a little lazy. And it doesn't allow me to really kind of dig into the real honest truth of what I'm saying. Um, because it might kind of pique people's interest, but am I really embodying? Do I really understand that word or am I using it because it feels safe? It feels safe to use that word. And so I really focus on the use of words um, also because words can create a sense of inclusion. You know, this is a cult practice, right? You create a like little mini language. So if you're in, if you're in the group, and I don't mean like, brutal cults. I mean, even mean like kind of pop culture cults, right? Like if you look at kind of pop culture cults, um, and this is something actually in the book cultish, this isn't really my original idea. This is something I learned through that book is that there's always like a language. There's always a secret language where people are called certain things and groups are called certain things. And it engenders a sense of belonging, which is great. There's nothing with a sen- wrong with a sense of belonging. But the flip side of belonging is always exclusion. It's really interesting, right? Like if you belong to a group by using these words and doing this, then by definition, you don't belong if you don't. And so I just am really conscious of the way that those 
sense of belonging, the way you dress, the way you speak can both create a sense of belonging and a sense of exclusion for people who are like, yeah, I, I don't look like that. I don't speak like that. I don't dress like that. I'm not of that race. I'm not of that gender. So I must not belong in that place. And I think as teachers, people have to be really careful, conscious and rigorous about kind of incorporating those things because it feels easy and other people are doing it and being really, really aware of like, are you engendering a sense of belonging through mutual respect, care and love or through these other methods that have a double-edged sword to them? Well, Vanessa, you you clearly are incredibly observant and hopefully by at this point in the conversation, that's wildly apparent to all of our listeners. And so, you know, you've sat at the table with some of the most successful people in the world, and many of them have opened up to you in a highly vulnerable way, which kind of, as you noted earlier, is probably attributed to how you open up to them in a highly vulnerable way. So, you know, what have you noticed to be true about all humans, regardless of their success level, their social status, what they've accomplished in their lives. Yeah. I mean, I've sat with a lot of people and what's fascinating is like, oh, we all have the same shit. You heard it here first, folks. It's fascinating. It's like, we, it is true that we are more the same than we are different. It is also true that creating an openness to other people's lived experience is an incredible important part of that, right? So we are more the same than different, can sit side by side and be true with, we all have a very unique lived experience and we must open our hearts and our minds to other people's lived experience because it's through that lens that you can find your shared humanity. If you are dismissing the vast diversity of lived experience, you cannot find the core of human connection and commonality. Yeah, I mean, I would say we're all the same. We're all struggling with the same questions. And the entire world of spirituality, self-help is all saying the same thing. (laughs) Nobody, there's no new information. There's no unique wisdom. People are just saying it in different ways that allow people in, right? It's like, if you look at all of the major religions, and if you look at all of the spiritual traditions and all the spiritual teachers and all the meditation teachers and the mindfulness teachers, when you boil it down, pretty much everyone is saying the same thing. And so let's be clear that all of the human vessels for that universal knowledge They're all mirrors and doors. That is all they are. And you might say this particular mirror and door opened my mind more than this other one. And that's right, because we come at something with our own lived experience, our own struggles, and we relate to people in different ways. And so for some people, what I say might really resonate. And for some people, they're like, I have no idea what she's talking about. I have no interest in what she has to say. And that's perfect. That's exactly right. So what I would say is, and it's kind of relating back to an earlier question is, make sure the people that you're learning from really resonate with you. They don't resonate with some person you think you should be or some ideal you think you should have. Make sure they really resonate with you 
that they really feel right to you and that they're constantly reminding you of their humanity and of your innate wisdom. I didn't really answer the question you asked, but you did. <laughs> it left me there. No, somehow. you did. Yeah. So now we're going to dive into some rapid fire questions that we ask all of our guests that you may or may not be familiar with before we uh, wrap it up, because we could talk to you all day, but we can do that. <laughs> we'll do that on WhatsApp. We will do that, that will happen <laughs> at a later chat. time. So. Inevitable. <laughs> okay. So Vanessa, what is one tip for working smart? This is not my tip. This is Kate Northrup. This idea of becoming attuned with your own cycle. So your own hormonal cycle and your cycle of um, when you need to do different things. So to really listen to your body when you're in, you know, productive mode or contemplative mode or rest mode, it has really, really shifted the way that I work where I honor what I need. Um, sometimes we got to do things when we don't feel like it, like, of course, of course. But even if you can shift, and Kate says this, even if you can shift your mindset 5%, 10% towards this ideal of saying like, do what you feel like doing when doing it, when you feel like doing it, and you will reduce, reduce so much friction and effort associated with like banging up against a wall of something you don't feel like doing, figure out who you are, how you work, what your daily cycle is and how it interacts with work. And you'll get more done. You'll be less exhausted and frustrated. Love that. What is one tip for working happy? Working happy. Oh God. I mean, find something that lights you up. It's not so easy, right? Like I recognize that that is not so easy. Um, and, and it's like, it doesn't have to be this ideal of like every moment is joyous and wonderful, but like maybe you're in a job and you're like the people there light me up. Like I feel good when I go into work, they respect me. Um, they value my ideas. The I have friends there. Right. And so it's like, what part of your work lights you up and prioritize that if you can, or shift your workplace in a way to create more of that if it's not like perfect and ideal, right? Like nobody's pretending that it's like all like rainbows and unicorns at work all the time, but it's like, how can I make it? How can I make it more aligned with who I am and what I want and what I care about? And finally, Vanessa, where can our listeners find you and what can they look forward to from you? Yeah. So they can find me on Instagram at Vanessa Cornell or at Nushu, which is N-U-S-H-U. That's also the website, nushu.com, which is where we have all of our offerings. Uh, we do courses. I do a facilitator training. We do retreats, including a surf retreat, which is always oh, really, really popular. That's it's on my bucket list. Yeah, that's about to go up on the website. That's in the category of do what's fun. Uh, I love to surf. And so the surf retreat is like my favorite thing that we do. Um, but if you go on newshoe.com, you can sign up for our newsletter generally or specifically the things that you're interested in hearing about. Um, and we also always, I always talk about it on Instagram, Vanessa Cornelian and Nushu. Well, I can attest that you are a great Instagram follow. Your newsletters are also thoughtful and insightful. So if you're listening, if this conversation piqued your interest, absolutely sign up, give Vanessa a new shoe, a follow. You will be very glad that you did. And Vanessa, thank you for your time today. You're always so generous and thoughtful and thought provoking. We could just go on and on with you. So thank you we're both. always grateful. Thank you. I love I love you both so much and um kudos to everything you're doing at 
full plate, full cup. It's just so inspiring and wonderful to see. You're doing so much for so many. So thanks for, for letting me be a part of it. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Full Plate, Full Cup. If you found this episode helpful, please make sure to subscribe, leave a review, and share it with a friend. To learn more about the Full Plate, Full Cup methodology or to work with us in a more personal way, find us on Instagram at Full Plate, Full Cup. That's at F-U-L-L-P-L-A-T-E-F-U-L-L-C-U-P or online at www.fullplatefullcup.com www.fullplatefullcup.com